We are back with a full crew on This Week in the CLE, the news podcast from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Chris Ranowski, Laura Johnston, and Jane Cahoon. Good morning, everybody. Good Good morning. morning. Let's get right to it. What's the latest news on Cuyahoga County Executive Armin Budish's plan to provide a $7.9 million bailout for the downtown Hilton Hotel? This is one of those stories that I just still remain jaw-dropped from with all the needs the county has, with all of the, the lost money. They're laying off jail guards, and yet we're going to give nearly $8 million and possibly more than $20 million to the Hilton Hotel Company. Laura Johnston, what's the latest on this? Uh, well, there's going to be a committee hearing. Uh, county Council is going to have that on Monday. Council President Dan Brady said the hearing is needed because of the, quote, public interest in the Hilton. So, Hat tip well, wait, 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 wait. So, so what, what, what you're saying then is originally there was not going Correct. to be a exactly. hearing about we're giving We're going to put it on a consent dollars. agenda just to pass it through. That's the way it came to the county council. The through... consent agenda is what? Something they just, they vote without discussion? Right, right. They, they would just vote it through rather than have your couple of hearings uh, in a committee on a different day and take public input. Who so, put it on the consent agenda? Was that, that the would... Ca- that would be the administration. So Budish was looking to get this through with no public discussion. That's my understanding. And to be fair, I talked to the county spokeswoman about this yesterday. She kept saying, this is not a bailout. They're not handing $8 million to the Hilton Corporation. It, it's broken down. There's some that is property taxes, about $1.5 million. And the rest of it is to debt service. She said, this is my hotel. This is your hotel. It's owned by county taxpayers. We built it in 2016. It opened right before the Republican National stop, Convention. Stop. I'm they, just giving you their They have a contract with the Hilton Company that's supposed to pay the property property taxes. Yes. They're supposed to pay the debt service. To to turn that around and make it sound like they're just paying the mortgage, that's false. They have a contract with the Hilton Hotel Company to pay the debt service and to pay the property taxes. And they're saying that because the Hilton Hotel Company lost all the money, they need to make good on it because it's their property. But that's if you look at this to have no public discussion on this just is wrong because maybe there's a better way. There's a lot of uses for the, the that $8 million. Laura Johnson, we put something on our site yesterday asking people to prioritize how they would spend that money. We and did. We, and the Hilton Hotel was one of the examples. And we had yes. things like provide the tools that Cleveland school kids need to learn or uh, abate lead paint because how far would that money go in abating lead paint in Cleveland? What uh, what did people say on that survey? So I knew you were going to ask this, so I have it pulled up. Number one, they think the downtown businesses should be rebuilding from the riots. That was one. Two was Food Bank, Cleveland Food Bank. Remember, $1 provides four meals, so multiply that by $8 million. Um, Internet hotspots and Chromebooks for the Cleveland Metropolitan School District students. Ensuring honest, convenient le- elections in November. And number five was shoring up Metro Health after its huge losses. Okay, so the where Hilton was the Hilton? Was nine. And the only thing less was sadly lead paint abatement. But see, but, but, that's, but that is the discussion I would hope the county council would have when they have the hearing is, okay, we're broke. We're so broke we laid off jail guards last week in a jail that has been scandalously hit by deaths and, and inspection reports. But they're so broke, they reduce their staffing there. And and this is how they want to use that money. And it just, it, it, there is, 
a serious question about, is that the right thing to do? Is this a bill that can be put off? Is there something better to be done with that money? Right. I think it's interesting that the number one thing was helping the small businesses downtown rebuild after the riot. Which are getting $100,000. So, I mean, from the county. From the county, a minuscule amount compared to that $8 million and, and what could be growing. And what's really ironic is they built this in 2016 to, to, as an economic development lure, right? To make the convention center more successful, to make money for everyone, the businesses, the county. And apparently it had been doing that until now. They won't tell us how bad it cratered when the coronavirus shutdown happened. Uh, there's something they said a couple weeks ago that it was about 10% of the the money they had expected coming in, but they never shut down. And I did ask the question, did, did the Hilton or did you apply for federal stimulus money for this hotel? Because it was part of the travel stimulus federal cares money and I, I haven't gotten an answer on that well what's also interesting is they're claiming those numbers are proprietary so right. here they are, here we are about to give away eight million dollars of our very hard-earned tax money mm-hmm. and we don't even have the backup to prove what the need is it's no. just one of those look maybe maybe it's all the right thing to do maybe there's no choice maybe the if they don't do this that they go into default on bonds or something but but there should at least be a much healthier discussion about the proper use of tax dollars, especially in a county where the administration always cries poor. I mean, Metro Health lost tens upon tens of millions of dollars during the, the coronavirus because it couldn't do surgeries. And it's mm-hmm. the public hospital. If you're right. going to give anything a shot in the arm, why not Metro Health? Was there any discussion about that? So. Anyway, it's good to hear that the county uh, council president, Dan Brady, put the brakes on and is going to ask the right questions. We'll have yeah. to see where it goes. I, I want to see how much Hilton gets paid for their for putting their name on the hotel and running it. I, I don't have the answer to that question. It's this week in the CLE. Why did Governor Mike DeWine get tested for the coronavirus live on television? Jane Cahoon, these briefings have become mind-numbing. They started out as informative <laughs> and, and calming and full of information. And now it's just turned into one perpetual dog and pony show. And yesterday that show had the governor, Fran DeWine and John Houston, the lieutenant governor, all getting tested live on television. What was the point of that? Well, yes, we had a little theater yesterday, didn't we? The the point, I guess, was now the testing is available for anyone in Ohio. I think the governor wanted to show, hey, this is pretty easy. Here's how it works. And um, but you could argue it was a bit of a stunt. So Couldn't you just say, hey, everybody, I want you to know <laughs> testing is available everywhere. It takes 30 seconds and they stick a swab up your nose. I mean, did we really <laughs> need to, to see it? Yeah, um, it was like it was it was not that fun to watch. I have to say, you know, they had a member of the National Guard all suited up in the PPE, sticking the big swab up his nose. But, you know, it, it's not clear to me whether it was the real, you know, poke your brain kind of swab. Uh, or not, but but afterward it was you know Dewine clapped his hands and said ah oh, awesome uh, but, was done. but you know there, <laughs> this was his first briefing since last week and in in the days since his last briefing Ohio has spiked on cases I mean Rich Exner did a, a wonderful story that published Monday looking at it the trend continues. And when he got to that part of the <laughs> press conference, he doesn't have a health director there. Chris Wernowski's pointed this out a couple of times. Ever since Amy Acton left, we haven't seen a health director. So 
DeWine does the numbers and he just glosses over. It's like, yeah, this is bad. It's higher than it's been. We got to get that down. When that would seem to be the main subject of yesterday's briefing, Ohio is surging. We are seeing numbers that we had not seen in a month and it it's meaningful. And yet we got very little of that. We just got the theater. Uh, is there anything coming out of the governor's office about what they're going to do to try and get this back under control? Not specifically. He promised more information on that whole matter on Thursday during his next briefing. I mean, they unveiled some commercials where they're trying to get people to wash their hands and wear masks, although it's bizarre because it starts out with a guy standing next to a gigantic pickup truck. And then when the camera zooms out, he's a doctor. I'm not quite sure what the message <laughs> is there. Yeah, I don't know. Some of their messaging the messages... was so oh, effective. I was just going to say, well, remember the ping pong balls? You know, that was so effective, that, um, you know, public service thing they had on the Ohio Department of Health website. But, yeah, these are a little more, I don't know. I didn't understand it. I was like, what's the meaning of the pickup truck? But <laughs> oh, I think I look, I think it's this is Chris Warnowski, by the way. I think the reason they do that is to sort of say, I'm just like you. I'm an everyman. I'm I'm a citizen of Ohio. And and so I think but he's a doctor. So he's right. not just like me. <laughs> right. But again, I was like, because when, when I first saw it, I was just like, oh, they're going to oh, they're you know, they're trying to appeal to, you know, rural parts of the state. And and then when they pulled out and it was a doctor, I was like, huh, interesting. And that was it. I mean, that was like I mean, the second like, one involves somebody who they pull back and it's a nurse. Right. It's just it's like anyway, I'm I'm not sure what it's not a good thing when you have a big campaign and the messaging is so unclear we're talking about what it means. <laughs> <laughs> so, maybe go back to the drug board on that. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Has the coronavirus stalled the planning for the much-needed replacement of the Cuyahoga County Jail and Justice Center? This is a distressing story. We have been engaged for four years at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer on a campaign to reform justice in Cuyahoga County. Part of that is building a much more modern set of facilities. It seemed like we had momentum, and we learned this week the momentum is pretty much stalled. Chris Warnowski, what's in the way? So what's in the way is, you know, there people can't meet. <laughs> so one of the one of the big things is, is they're sort of kicking the can down the road a little bit. And, and it'll be some time before they actually reconvene and and address the building of a new justice center and, you know, county jail. They have a good excuse. The coronavirus ended right. up blocking them from meeting. And then when they finally thought they could get together in June, we had a riot in late May that precluded it. But it's been we're going to have gone half a year with no progress. Does does Jeff Applebaum, the the lawyer who's kind of leading this charge, have any optimism that they can get it back on track and meet some of the benchmarks they aimed for by the end of the year? Um, I think so. I mean, I think they're you know, it, it just depends on how how hard they hit the ground with this and, and what, whatever other priorities the people that are involved with these meetings have. But I, I think what's interesting about this is what the coronavirus may have done to their plans. You know, I, I think one of the things that they might end up having to consider and, and Applebaum sort of talked about this is what the virus's impact will have on what plans they decide to pursue. You know, I mean, there's, one of the things that they've shown 
is is that they can reduce the population of the jail and and by if, half by I mean, half, they cut right? it in half right and so you know if we continue that effort if that becomes something that the judges and the prosecutors make a priority which is keeping the jail population low the county might actually be able to save money not only on the construction of the jail but also in the long run of of not having a jail with you know 2500 people and 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 you know maybe have have a, a a cap on, you know, a lower cap on how many people can be in the jail. So well, you could save a fortune. If you could design a jail for half the size it is now, you could put some of that money into the mental health treatment we've talked about. I mean, the savings on that could really fire up the, the justice reform measures that are suddenly getting renewed attention because of the Black Lives Matter movement that is pointing out all the injustices that occur. So you're right. This could be actually a very fortuitous stall because of what they've learned. The, the, the sad thing is they could have reduced that population 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, and, and, but it's, you know, the will has to be there. And I think, you know, unfortunately, I think for a lot of people in elected position, it takes stuff like this. I think there's just a lack of imagination of of being able to say we can reduce the jail population in a meaningful way. And then something like this happens. And they did a pretty admirable job of, of getting a lot of people out of the jail. And 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 what you're seeing is is there's, there's just no need for it. And and, and it's I, I think what really goes I think what goes unsaid sometimes is that jail reform is actually a fiscal conservative position to take, you know, right. it, it you saved know, a lot it, of money. Right. I mean, everybody talks about, Oh, releasing people from jails is a left wing pipe dream. And it's like, no, like there are legitimate conservatives who like, I mean, Grover Norquist, who is the most anti-tax Republican you'll ever meet in your life is pro jail reform because he realizes how much money that governments pump into corrections. And, you know, when you think about, you know, the, the, the issues that we had at our jail in 2018 and 2019 with all the people who died there. Well, we're all spending of that's millions been, of dollars. Yeah, now. I mean, there's going to be lawsuits and, you know, and, and settlements and, and all of that. And, and it's, it's, you know, I, I think, you know, just throwing up another building to put people in is the wrong way to, to look at this. And any plans to build a new facility should have an eye on reforming a lot of these problems. And, oh, and that's exactly. actually the priority. This is a good news story. I mean, the, the idea that we got stalled for six months by the coronavirus may end up saving taxpayers a bundle and, more importantly, have us treat people more humanely than we long have. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Is Ohio's new coronavirus surge continuing? We started this week talking about how it didn't appear to be a surge, but very quickly the surge became evident as our Rich Exner has reported, it appears that that surge continued through yesterday's numbers. Laura Johnston, what did we uh, see? It looks like it. We had 590 new cases Tuesday and 31 deaths. That brings us up to 46,127 Ohioans. And so that's in that line of in like bigger numbers that we've been seeing for the last 14 days. Um, and the, it's not the, quite the, it's the, average. the highest. But the the average leading up to the surge had been what something like three hundred and eighty four or something. It was below four hundred, right? It was below four hundred. And, and every day since then, 
it's been way above and 590 is way above that that 380 some that it was um that's troublesome Yes. And intensive care unit and hospital admissions are up as well. DeWine said at, at Tuesday's briefing, he, he said it was a concern. He, I mean, yes, he said, we do not like to see that. We're going to watch it. Um, the, we did ask and other uh, reporters asked at the briefing about the positivity rate because experts say this is a really good way to know if the increases are coming from more testing or if there's actually more cases. He says it's been holding pretty steady around 4%. And later, um, Lieutenant Governor Houston said it, it's been between 4 and 6 but it's lower now because there's more tests, which is good news. Um, DeWine, they had not released this information. He said he would get back to us um, and try to get it on that dashboard so we can track it closely. Yeah, the positivity rate ends up being key. And nationally, uh, it kind of debunks what the president said at his Tulsa speech, that the only reason the numbers are going up is because of extra testing. But in, in many states, that positivity number is holding steady. So it's, it's, we're going up actually. So it's actually, the, the numbers are, are spiking. We're seeing a surge. I mean, lots of countries around the world have seen the surge as they, as they've reopened. Many of the other countries are taking steps now to lock it back down. Something that's not really happening here. DeWine has not said in his briefings that he'll consider locking things back down. Has he? No, he hasn't. And he said all along that that would be the worst thing possible to let these businesses open up and then shut them back down. He did, you That's know, the worst thing possible. It's not people getting sick and dying. Yes. Yes. But he, he did say when opening that we want to only open once. But, you know, I think that's where these mask commercials come in. He's just asking people to please wear a mask and social distance that there should not be throwing big parties in their backyards with everybody they know, because that's how the virus spreads. So, I mean, right, we, you may not know the answer to this. So if I'm putting you on the spot, I'm sorry. But what is what are the numbers showing in Northeast Ohio? We did not have I don't think we got numbers on Friday. So I don't know. And but our are not number was lo- a lot lower the, the rate of transmission to other people from people who have the disease than Southwest Ohio. So I would really like to be able to to see that, to, to see the trending if all of these Ohio numbers are going up in spots. Uh, but I couldn't tell you. Um, so we haven't seen an update out of Cuyahoga County or Summit no. County in a few days. Okay, it'd be interesting to see what happens when we do. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Could the new Space Command be located in Ohio? This is an interesting one because we're usually when you think of space, you think of Houston, you think of Florida, Jane Cahoon, we're making a bid to have Ohio be the new headquarters for Space Command. It sounds like a, a parody movie, but what what's the story? <laughs> yes, I don't know if this has any chance in the universe to succeed, but uh, Mike DeWine, the governor, has uh, written to the Assistant Secretary of the Air Force to endorse a, a proposal to locate the Space Command in the Dayton area. And as I said, I don't know if it has any chance, but they do have a lot going for them as far as the, you know, the eligibility requirements for this, that, you know, the Dayton area is home to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. It's home to the National Air and Space Center, the Air Force Research Lab Laboratory, Air Force Institute of Technology, and the 18th Intelligence Squadron. So they, and then they also pointed out, I guess, in their application that they have a really low cost of living in Dayton and an educated workforce and 
it's it's Ohio's a military friendly state and they meet these livability requirements so anyway they they do have a lot of things going for them but you know sometimes these decisions aren't made on those kinds of facts will this decision be made during this presidential term or is it something that'll happen after the election um not until early 2021 so not not until the next one and then it's going to take another six years to to do the move so so it it won't be a gift to some state that, that the president's trying to to win um, before the election. Oh, but, n- yeah, no, I don't think so. Okay, it's this week in the CLE. Why are some Mayfield Heights residents so exercised about their taxes, and what are they doing about it? You always like a story like this when residents <laughs> get together to to take matters into their own hands. This is interesting, though, because there is a philosophical argument to be made about how taxes are passed. Chris Ranowski, what's the background? So Mayfield Heights had a, uh, a tax increase initiative on the ballot and uh, in the last election. And some of the citizens are sort of upset because... There was low turnout during that election because of the the coronavirus and because of, you know, a lot of the restrictions and people just didn't want to come out and vote. So a citizens group is collecting signatures. And by the way, this group has one of the the best citizen group names of all times. They're called the Citizens Against Sneaky Taxes. <laughs> and, and and basically they said, you know, in a in a release they put out on Tuesday that the council sort of passed the increase on the March ballot knowing that the turnout would be low and and thus boosting the chance of it passing. So it passed by like 64 votes out of the 3,000 that were cast. And and just for a frame of reference, a similar initiative was on the ballot during the 2018 election, and uh, it, it was rejected by more than 2,500 votes. So, um, and that's so, the rub, right? right? I mean, if you you know you when you have a tax on the ballot, and if people come out and vote it down. It always feels like there's cheating going on when it, they come back and just say, well, let's try it again. Um, and there's been a longstanding argument that if you're going to put taxes on the ballot, they should be in the general election. This one, I guess, was because it was the primary. But as you said, the wrinkle was nobody was coming out to vote because it was all mail-in voting and it was a pretty much a, a, a mess. Uh, and and it's interesting that that's their argument. It's It's that, hey... This should be voted on by the general public. It shouldn't be, like you said, sneaky. Um, And you hear this in town after town, school district after school district. Go about it honestly. You know, put the issue before people. Make your case. Don't put tax dollars into making the case. But, you know, make your case and let the people decide. And then once they decide, (laughs) accept the decision. So it's fascinating that the leader of this effort, is a is a name that I was one of the only people that remembered. I guess uh, he was a county commissioner when I first came to town in the mid nineties. Uh, who who you hadn't heard much from Lee Weingart, but he's the chief spokesperson for this, right? Yeah, and so it it's I, I what I found interesting about this is that it, it, it on the other the other side of this, like the the increase raised the city would have raised the city's income tax from like one to one and a half percent. So somebody who works in the suburb and makes like 50 grand a year would pay like $21 a 
more a month. So, so I mean, you're not talking about like an earth shattering amount of money, um, but it, it does. It, I mean, it does really speak to a very sort of depressing reality about a lot of elections. I mean, this doesn't just happen during pandemic and coronavirus stuff. This this kind of gaming the 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 you know off year and and low turnout elections is is something that happens a lot. Right. And, this and, is this is Laura Johnston. I just want to add in. There's an August election going on. Just you know, right. like there's one in Cuyahoga County. I think it's Maple Heights. I could be wrong, but. That that is what they do. They put them in at off times, and they hope people who don't want the tax forget to vote. Like that's the that's the strategy. But the, but, but what's interesting about this initiative is it, it it's the evidence that residents want a sense of fair play. Mm-hmm. That that they you know if I am sure that if they had done this properly and it was on last November's ballot and it won, they wouldn't be doing this. But but what this is is this this fury that you're you're pulling a fast one. You know, Cleveland Heights had the same kind of mood when there was a move to replace its government with a strong mayor form of government and the and the sitting government officials were playing games to try and maintain their jobs. The residents of Cleveland Heights were furious about that and the the it ended up the effort to reform the government won resoundingly partly as a result of that sense of fair play. So I th- this is interesting. We don't usually talk about individual municipality uh, initiatives but this one's interesting because it is the demand for fairness well what'll be what'll be fascinating to see and i don't know if you have been paying a lot of attention to this i like ever since the the all of the george floyd stuff started happening in minneapolis i have seen a level of political engagement at the local level among a lot of my friends my age that i have never seen and, and so I think what what is heartening is that you're you're starting to see people realize that that a lot of the political things that affect their daily lives are things that are done on a local level. So maybe just maybe we can fix this problem by people actually taking these elections seriously and showing up to the polls when it matters. Now, again, right. there, this was an anomaly because people don't want to catch the plague. But but, you know, th- there's a lesson to be learned here from the the side of the voter, which is, you know, these things are important. These things do affect your wallet and, and you should pay attention to them and take them serious. Well, Lauren, Chris, you have no frame of reference to this, but Jane Cahoon and I can remember <laughs> the last time this happened. This is this. You had political engagement that got very strong in the late 60s, early 70s in a in a similar period of American tumult. So it's an interesting perspective, Chris. We'll have to see how it plays out. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. With July 4th next week and no crowds allowed, do I have a glimmer of hope for seeing fireworks anywhere near Northeast Ohio? I see that Macy's is going to have surprise rounds of fireworks where they don't tell people where they are so that you could still see them in New York. But what about it, Laura Johnston? Do we have any hope of fireworks here? We do. First of all, just to be clear, Akron is going to have four different fireworks shows all over their city at 9.45 p.m. on the 4th. Uh, They don't want really people to gather in crowds. They hope they can see them from their homes. But you can go to Akron and find a spot. Um, Sandusky, Cedar Point is hosting its Light Up the Point Fireworks show as a fundraiser 
for a couple of different places, including a food bank and the Sandusky State Theater, which got really uh, damaged in a storm this summer. You can get in for $20 per car. There will be no uh, refreshments. I don't know if you have to stay in your car, but it's going to be limited. Um, so, and then there's that bill that in the state house that would let anybody set off fireworks. But Mike DeWine said yesterday he's not a fan of that. Well, and we've had already had some accidents in Northeast Ohio, so it's mm-hmm. uh, it could be a dangerous thing. So, so Sandusky and Akron—that's the uh, the closest to Cleveland you're going to see fireworks. Well, as far as I know, and you know, the uh, 4th of July fireworks in Cleveland, they're saying they're going to try for September, but we'll see. I I haven't heard specifically from all of those smaller suburbs that do their own if they're um, definitely canceled. I know some places are trying to salvage something. So, um, but yeah, we're getting pretty close to the day. Okay. It's this week in the CLE. All right. I have no idea how long we've been talking because of our technical difficulties today. So maybe we're short, maybe we're long. But thanks to everybody for the conversation. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Jane. Thanks to people who are listening this week in the CLE. We'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow.